Welcome to Redemption's Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption's Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. jump into uh, the text. We're in Hebrews uh, chapter 11 again today. We, we've talked about Hebrews, the 11th chapter, is going to span for us uh, four different weeks. So we did the intro last week. This is part two. Uh, there's a, a couple more. Uh, Blake or, uh, Garrett is closing out this chapter. Blake is opening the, the next. But uh, let's go ahead and read this together. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. We do really well to just camp in that verse uh, for quite a while in in our study uh, during the week. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he commended uh, the world and became an heir of the righteous that comes by faith. Verse 8, by faith. See the trend? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as uh, many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Verse 13, these all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and uh, greeted them from afar and having knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land uh, for which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, uh, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we ask that you draw near to us through this. Spirit, would you come uh, and speak to our hearts about faith uh, and the faith that you want to grow and blossom and cause flourish in us. Would you come and speak? Give us ears to hear uh, the, the words of our Father. Lord, we ask that um, in your name. Amen. So my oldest two boys, they share a room. And on some days, that is not exactly ideal. Uh, By some days, I mean probably half of the days. Mainly on the days when it's 10 p.m. and they're still throwing toys at each other, uh, reaching up and hitting each other, or just having long uh, discussions with each other when they're supposed to be in bed for uh, hours already sleeping. But uh, there are days when them sharing a room is pretty cool, like recently. Uh, Judah, uh, we got him a Bible uh, kind of a kid's study Bible, and he's been enjoying to read it to Abel at night, which if you know anything about our last couple years, that in and of itself is great news. The fact that Judah wants to read and that his chosen source material is the Bible, like that's some pretty good stuff in our house. So uh, we recommended that Judah start with maybe the Gospel of John, something New Testament, something like a little bit easier uh, to, to go through. But of course, he said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. And he wanted to start in Genesis 1 at the beginning. So, okay, all right, go for it. So he has read the creation account. He has read fall. And then he got to Genesis 4 with his brother, the story of Cain and Abel. Right? If you're following me, this means Judah was reading to Abel the story of Abel's death, which is stinking hilarious in my book. Uh, but Allie asked them, uh, you know, how is the story going? Like, what do you think? What have you learned? And, 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 and that's her way of going, like, are you paying attention? Or are you, like, 
leaving the bio open and, and playing with Pokemon cards or something like that. We wanted to see if Judah was really reading and if Abel was really listening. And we quickly found out that Abel was indeed listening because he said emphatically something like, I don't like that story. First of all, you're like, oh, okay. First of all, I don't want to deal with those stinking sheep. Like, that's your first of all? (laughs) Second of all, in his morally outraged voice, he dies. I die. I don't like that story. And it's just outraged voice. And it was hilarious to us that his first qualm was they didn't want to raise sheep. (laughs) And death was like a trailing behind second. But but either way, he was listening and he did not enjoy uh, the story very much. But that is the story that kind of kicks off the text for today. And we thought it was... Hilarious. So we're going to backtrack a little bit in what we're covering today to, to cover some of the actual stories that we missed to lay the foundation last week. I kind of said we would backtrack, and this is us backtracking into the story. So what we're going to see is stories of faith, of people pleasing God through faith, and the author's hope is that you and I won't just read those as a historical document, that we'll latch on to them, and that they'll help grow our faith, that they'll stir our faith, and they'll help us have a galvanized faith even in a hard situation. So we're reading stories of people who came before us faith to stir and grow our faith so that we will endure like they did. So we laid a bit of groundwork last week. We have to kind of keep that in front of us to make this make sense. Chapter 11 is kind of the the Mount Rushmore, if you will, on faith. It's a masterpiece in the Bible on faith. The the original audience in the context was having a hard time following Jesus. Their faith had become quite rough for them, not metaphorically, but, but actually. The culture wasn't fond of Christianity. It was creating opposition, persecution, suffering. It was not easy to follow Jesus. So some of them were thinking about abandoning Jesus and going back to the old covenant ways. Right, Following Jesus had become hard. Their eyes are on the door going, hey, should we leave? Should we bolt? Would that be easier? Maybe we just kind of skip all the Jesus stuff. We go back to the sacrifices, the, the ceremonial stuff, uh, it, 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 instead of the Jesus stuff, and maybe life will get easier that way. With that context, the author tells them, hold fast. Right, Their eyes are on the door. Hold fast and endure and don't shrink back is what he said. He's already told them that Jesus is better than, than everything, better sacrifice, better priest, better hope, better promise. But he's, he's superior in literally every way. He says, with Christ's superiority, you need to understand that you need to dig your heels in and not retreat, not waver, and not run away, but instead draw near to God through Christ. I, I love the author, right? Because they're thinking about leaving, and the author goes, nay, nay, run, run closer, you want to go that way? I'm telling you to go, to, go, to go this way so that your faith will grow. I want you to grow in faith and find endurance. Don't waver. Don't run. Hold fast. Let's go. Now, in order to keep the right thing in front of us in chapter 11, we have to grasp that the original audience was tempted to abandon Jesus via the route of what we'll call substitution. They wanted to sub back in their ancestors' ways of doing things. They wanted to sub back in uh, sacrifices and ceremonies and and, and law and stuff like that. That's what they wanted uh, to do. In their mind, they're sticking with God and they're not abandoning the faith. They're just subbing out the Jesus stuff. Jesus and following him is causing us the tension so we'll just, we'll put him to the side and, and, and we'll follow the law and the sacrifices and said, let us, let us sub him out. We'll stay with God. We'll sub out the Jesus. Things will be just, it'll be easier that way. Okay. This is what they're thinking of doing in their minds. I'm not going apostate. I still believe in God. I'm just subbing out the Jesus stuff that causes me tension. Now, none of us are tempted to do this. Like none of us here have this specific substitution on our radar. None of you are interviewing priests to see if they're good goat killers for you right now. 
Like, n- nobody's doing that. No, nobody's starting to grow the corners of their beards out. and do, Like, n- nobody is, is doing that stuff. The, the proclivity would be, well, well, since I am not trying to, to do what they are doing, that I don't need to actually hold on to this text and understand this call towards endurance. I'm fine. I'm not worried about holding fast. They're the ones doing the substitution thing. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to an old priest. I'm good. But what we need to understand is just because that specific angle of substitution is, is not one that tempts us, it doesn't mean that no angle is tempting us. Are you following? Our temptation will not be to substitute Christ. It's going to be to silence or hide him. That's our deal. See, in our current culture of outrage, uh, paired with our desire for relative peace and ease, the temptation becomes to, to just blend in. Let me just let me just sink in, and let me do life, and let me let me not cause any issues. Let me just kind of disappear into the background in order to have peace. To live for Christ, the light of the world, in a way that doesn't stand out in the darkness. Right, that's our current temptation. We can begin to live for peace and easy navigation of the culture rather than living for Jesus is what the Bible calls strangers and exiles in the culture. We have to understand this isn't our home. We're called aliens here. With that lens, this chapter begins to become very relevant to you and me as we hear the call to let the light of God shine before men instead of hiding it. See, what we've done, and it's been kind of the hypothesis of many people that I enjoy reading, is we've handed these heavy things that men and women need to hold in their heart down to kids. Giving them a song, don't hide it under a bushel. No, we're like, hey, that's for you, man. Don't, don't hide your light. Be careful about you hiding. Don't tell your kids to sing the song. What are you doing there? Hold fast, endure. This is what Paul will even reference in a text that Blake's going to lead us in in a couple weeks about running the race well. It has to do with letting the light of God shine, not hiding. I want to be clear. We're not trying to offend everyone in the name of Jesus, but we are being very careful that you do not turn into a Christian chameleon. You're blending into every environment and everything around you, and then you begin to kind of accept the ways of the world in order to not cause tension in that world. I better just keep blending in and just, yep, that's perfectly normal. Nothing wrong with that, and, and just kind of live. We've got to be careful about that. The four pieces that we want to keep with us, the four nuggets as we move through the 11th chapter will be this. The definition of faith, a firm belief, assurance, and conviction about things unseen. Easy definition to work with. Is it completely exhaustive in all areas? No, but it works pretty well. So we have the what, we have the the commendation, the why. Why is this 11th chapter so important? Well, because without faith, it's impossible to please God. We have the what and the why. Then we have the scope, which we tied into last week. Faith is the lens that we view all things through all the way back to creation and everything forward. In other areas, there is no area in our life that our faith isn't involved in or, or that our faith is off limits inside of. See, our faith, uh, our world is currently kind of throwing a fit, trying to keep faith out of all areas. You keep that to yourself and you keep that out of this and you keep that out of this, but here's the problem with that. We cannot comply because our faith goes everywhere we go. If we go there, our faith is with us. If we look at it, our faith is the lens that we view all things through, from creation all the way on. How much does faith have to do with? Everything. The scope is all things. That too? Yeah, that too. Then the destination. Faith leads to hope. Hope produces endurance. All of this is when our hearts are looking at the, the door, the author saying, endure. I want to show you these beautiful pictures so that your hope grows, so your hope grows, and so that you're able to endure. So we have a definition, we have a why, we have scope, and we have a destination. Now we get to move to the stories. The first three people mentioned in these stories, uh, in these examples of faith, are Abel and Enoch and Noah. And those aren't random examples of faith. They're, they're, they're direct and they're important. They're going to show us what true and proper and Holy Spirit wrought faith look like when they're lived out in order that our faith may grow. These stories are meant to stir your faith and mine. 
We're not meant to nod our head and be like, yep. They're meant to stir deep things inside of us. The author is going to weave into these stories these kind of elements or aspects of these faith that we're called to embody ourselves as well. Abel, the text says, offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Jumping right into the first one. It was through the more acceptable sacrifice that he was commended as righteous. And it goes on to say, a God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, uh, though he died, he still speaks. The key to this, the aspect of the faith that the author wants to kind of get us to hold on to and is pointing to is the sacrifice given and the importance of the sacrifice given. And I remember hearing this story, as a, uh, this story as a young boy, and people were speculating that it was Abel who gave the equivalent of his nice stuff, while Cain uh, gave his, like, junky leftovers. As if Abel gave grade A samples of the flock, and Cain gave, like, grade D examples of, of produce. So God was pleased with the generosity of Abel, and, and he was frustrated and bothered by Cain's selfishness to hold all of his good stuff to himself when all things are God's. Right? This is kind of how I heard it laid out. And, and while there is some merit in there to, to speak to the idea of Cain's selfishness, it was not that Cain gave crummy gifts. That's the wrong line on the story. It's that Cain gave the, the wrong gift. It's not crummy. The quality isn't low. It's it's not even in the right sphere that it's supposed to. What does that mean? Well, we need to look at the examples of faith through the lens of the book of Hebrews. Haven't they talked about the sacrifices given quite a bit in the book? Countless times the author has pointed to, highlighted in depth, how Christ came to give the final sacrifice. What was that final sacrifice? Himself. Christ didn't come to shed the the blood of of bulls and goats and turtle doves, right? Other priests would walk in with like the blood of something else and sprinkle the blood of something else on a things to purify things. And the aha is that Jesus came to shed his own blood. He was the, the final offering of blood to bring atonement. Why? Because it's only through the shedding of blood that atonement or sac or, or forgiveness come. There is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So God had told Adam and Eve that sin led to death before they ever sinned, showing them that sin wasn't benign, it isn't a little deal, it's a huge deal, and it leads to death. Yet when Cain brought his sacrifice to deal with his sin, right, that's what he was doing. He's coming to to God to try and deal with the problem of his sin before he understood the, the full depth of Jesus coming. He's coming to deal with the problem of his sin, and he brought produce. He brought groceries, to deal with his sin. Nothing died. No blood was shed. The heart of Cain really had this belief, I don't really need atonement. So just take what, take what I'll give you. I don't really need shed blood. I, like Sin isn't that big of a deal. Our, our, our gap isn't really that big. So therefore, just I'll let you have this. Can't you just be happy with that? The idea is that God should be happy with whatever he decided to give him. That's why I said it's not the quality of the sacrifice, He rebelled and gave the wrong thing. You don't really need blood. Just take this. This comes from a prideful heart, one that's ungrateful that atonement is even possible. Faith in this example is trusting in the atonement that God makes possible for us. That is the gateway into faith. I trust in what you have provided to accomplish and give forgiveness. I trust fully in that. I trust in the future reality of the destruction of sin by placing my confidence in God's sacrifice not only required, but the sacrifice that he provided as well. This opener would have been kind of like a shot between the eyes for the original audience, saying, hey, don't be like your brother Cain and reject the sacrifice God has provided. God has sent Jesus to be the sacrifice to be the final sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice. And they're going, well, I'd just rather use this other stuff because maybe this would be easier. He's going, you get your being, you're being like your brother Cain, right? Do not try and give the wrong sacrifice. And then he's saying to us, don't be like Cain by hiding the sacrifice. See, Cain wanted to give the wrong one, but, but, but when we want to just hide the sacrifice, that's still the same core belief of Cain. Well, I don't really need it anyway. 
So I can just hide it. It's not that big of a deal. The thread here is trust. Trust in the sacrifice that God has given through Jesus. Trust it fully with all things. Don't hide it. Don't divert around it. Don't do anything of that. Glorify that God gave a sacrifice. And through that sacrifice, we can have atonement. Then with Enoch, the second example, this one seems a little bit obscure, probably for a reason. Enoch is talked about in Genesis 5, verses 18 through 24. We don't know a ton about him. Like there's not tons of information, but what we do know is that God and Enoch were close, like really, really close. We are told twice in these short verses that he's mentioned in that Enoch walked with God. This is a statement of of relationship. He walked in relationship with God. I don't know about you, but if I got six verses in the Bible, to have two of them remark about you walking with God, like, man, I'm glad those are in there because I, I didn't want to have like the, the Adam verses. Like his only verses are sin. But like this, this man walked with God. Enoch didn't navigate around God. He didn't just try and appease God. He didn't avoid God. He didn't hide from God. He walked in relationship with God. The posture of his life was to do life with God in a relational connection. So much so that the book says God took him. As in he didn't die. And God said, this guy, I I love him. He is mine. I'm taking him to to heaven, like teleportation style. I don't know how it happened, but... your mind. He, he took him. And we're not really meant to, to, to marinate in the no death aspect of Enoch. But we are meant to see that Enoch pleased God through his faith, not through some sort of performance. You get that Enoch didn't do some like massively awesome thing. It wasn't some huge work or over show of, of dedication that pleased the Lord. The Lord took him because he was serious about walking with God and being in relationship with him. He pleased God because his faith led him to walk with God. See, the author is pointing us to see that faith isn't just cognitive information or ritual habits on repeat. Faith has a relational component to it, and Enoch understood this. The book of Hebrews has been practically yelling this to us. When it says that we have access to the throne of God again through Jesus, it's pointing that our faith in Jesus, God's sacrifice for our sin that we're trusting in, open up, opens up the avenue to have right relationship with God again. And that's, again, not metaphorical. You can connect with and commune with the God of the universe. Why? Because of Christ. Faith that trusts God leads to faith that connects with him. I love that these are the first two because we can end up vacillating sometimes in our faith and it can be all work and all action and all knowledge. And he goes, no, 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 do not untether this from a relationship. Our God is a relational communal God who created all of this to be in relationship. Don't, un- don't untether trust from a relational connection. The underlying question becomes for us, hey, does your faith looks like, look like this right now? Does it balance mental with relational aspects? Because it can. Your move of faith may be to lean into that today and lean into the relationship with the God of the universe. If you're going, I don't know what that looks like. The Holy Spirit can help you with that. Have you shown me? I don't don't even know what this means. I I think I've tried to learn more about God than sit with him. Will Will you help me understand what even walking with the Lord looks like in a relational capacity? Holy Spirit, will you... You help me. I, I've trusted real, real hard. I don't, know, I don't know that I've walked with as much. And the paraclete, the, the helper, will be, I think, faithful to kind of help you with that. Then there's Noah, who the text says, uh, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Right, this is God, hey, this is coming. This is what I want you to do. In reverent fear, he constructed an ark for saving his household. Put yourself in Noah's shoes. God tells him, I want you to build a boat. Weird, but okay. Like John boat? Like little fishing boat? No, think bigger. Okay, like eight-man boat? Eh, bigger. How big of a boat? 500 foot long and 50 foot tall? You want me to build what? Yeah, I want you to build an ark. 
on dry land. Right? He's not on the coast. He's, he's not in New Orleans where you're like, we're going to need this any day. In the middle of dry land, God asks him to do something that makes no visible sense. He asks him for a type of faith that does not rely on what its eyes see currently, but instead relies on what God says and what God promises. That's hard. The essence of faith here is looking outside of your own understanding and deciding to obey God and trust that he is right and he is good. The text says that his type of obedient faith condemned the world. In other words, he believed God over the hollow promises and beliefs of culture. Since the rest of the world rejected God's warning, they were left only judgment where Noah found mercy. Those days had to be hard, though. You imagine the lines that he would have got about his foolishness, his insanity, his blindness to reality. And yet he was following the Lord. See, this type of faith places you at odds with the world because it doesn't act like them. There's no way to hide, to blend in, or be a Christian chameleon when you're Noah and God asks you to build a really, really, really big boat. There are those who think that this text is a type of salvation by works as if Noah saved himself by accomplishing the, the building of a seaworthy vessel as if him completing the task is what saved him. But it was the faith not in building the boat that pleased the Lord. It was the faith that led him to say, I'll build the boat if you want me to, even though it makes no sense. That's what pleased the Lord. I'll follow you wherever you'll go. I'll do whatever you ask. It makes no sense. Are you sure? You really sure? Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I hope that we see the, the difference. This is radical obedience. As I, as I sat outside this week and just began to think and ask the Lord, Lord, would you speak to us as a church again? One, one of the things that just kind of entered my head is we can begin to think like, Lord, do you not speak anymore? And I wonder if just like little calls of obedience over and over and over we've ignored for so long. He goes, why would I give you a big one? Like, I just asked you to do this one thing, and you said no, and, and, and chalked it up to a burrito. Maybe it's asking the Lord, hey, will you, will, you, will you train me all over again to hear you? Because the Lord wants an obedient people who will listen to his voice and trust him. Maybe it's that he doesn't speak, but we're so auto-programmed to, to not believe it's him. You slow down. God, would you speak to me again? Holy Spirit, will you begin to show me what the Lord wants? I don't think he's going to make you build an ark. I doubt he's going to make you build an ark. But I would love to end up being a people who have radical obedience to the Lord. Do you see the thread so far? Endurance building, God-pleasing, hope-holding faith. Trust in the sacrifice God has given. First tenet. Leans into relationship with God. Second tenet. And then obeys him when it makes no sense at all. Third tenet. Then we go into the examples of Abraham. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him to the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah receiving uh, power to conceive even when she uh, was past the age since she considered him faithful who promised. Therefore, from one man, do you see the dig? And he was as good as dead. That's the Bible calling him real, real old. We're born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Finally, we end up hearing the stories of, of Abraham and Sarah last in the text. And, and while the first ones were belief in God's sacrifice, a relational component and, and obedience even in the face of chaos, this will shift just a little bit. Abraham obeyed when he was called to leave his home and everything that he knew. He, he didn't leave it for no reason, though. He left it out of trust for his inheritance or the promise of God. 
Abraham set off, not even knowing where he was going. He set off to a foreign land because he believed that the promises of God on the promised land of what God had later was better than anything that he could have acquired on his own. Again, I want to make it extremely clear. He, he didn't leave for no reason. He left because his, his earthly kingdom was not as good as the promised better one that, that, that God was pointing him towards. Abraham's perceived radical obedience came really out of radical trust. That God had something better in store for him than his own home later on. So what did he do? And this is maybe what I hope that, that our hearts would hear. He aligned the, his life and his pursuits, not with what he had now, but what he was chasing later. I'm, I'm going to align my days and my thoughts and, and, and even how I view retirement and my kids and my home. I'm, I'm going I'm to align these things in my life with a promise, not, not the things that I can build. The text says that Abraham was looking forward, like looking to the future, to a city, a place that had its foundation, its literal structure designed by God. Now, if we kind of time out and go to the side, like God created all of the earth, it's talking about the restructuring of things being under the, the headship of God again, and the headship of Christ again. The text is saying he didn't just leave for a new zip code or because he thought the grass was greener on the other side. He left because he aligned his life with an eternal promise. You have made a promise, and I'll give it all to go for it. A promise to restore the garden, the, the pre-fall creation. What should be noticed is that Abraham willingly navigated a foreign land. This is what our hearts need to connect to, a place that didn't feel like home. It wasn't comfortable, it, didn't e- it wasn't easy, it didn't feel right in order to get to the promise. He went through difficult, awkward, tense things in order to eventually receive the inheritance. It was his faith to accept that he wasn't going to be in his true home for a while that brought about endurance and strength. Cognitively, I, I need to accept that I'm not going to get there for a little bit. And if I put all of my hope with, with getting the, 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 the heaven here, I'm going to be disappointed and angry and frustrated with God. I'm transferring my hope into the eternal promise. I'm not going to be home for a while. I'm going to, I'm going to set in for a while. It was his faith that caused him to live for the, the future promises instead of settling for the, for the right now. This is a faith that pleased God because it's a beautiful faith. We might have this, uh, this temptation to think, well, that's like this epic superhero, extraordinary faith. The author wants to show us it's not really meant to be viewed that way. See, this is the strain of the original audience and what they were facing. They didn't like that culture um, didn't feel like home. Right Underneath of it, you get that. That was their struggle. I want things to be easier here. That's the heart cry going, I want this to feel like home, and it doesn't, and I'm frustrated about it. They wanted faith to be walked out in a way that feels good and common and stable and secure and comfortable. Again, this is why they're tempted to leave Jesus. They couldn't reconcile the fact, I'm not going to get to my real home for a while. And it always caused this tension with, with them. It highlighted that they were aliens and, and foreigners. They're ones who, who won't feel like they're at home for a while because their king isn't ruling fully here. This is also the the strain for you and I of why we're tempted to hide Jesus, isn't it? The more we hide him, we begin to think the more that we can make this place feel like home, the more comfortable it can be. The author's message to them and us is I love you. Don't put your security there. I love you. Be careful. I need to tell you to endure. I need you, if you need to do it with tear-filled eyes, you can. I need you to accept that this isn't your home. Now, this isn't a doom and gloom. Everything's terrible. I'm never going to smile. Everything's going to be horrific. There's nothing good here. No, no, there's, there's common grace and means of grace, and there's beautiful things that we'll get to experience here and now. But underneath of it all, we need to understand that the world believes something 
fundamentally opposite and different than us. We see literally everything different from those who are not under the headship of Christ. And walking out the experience of the way you see things being completely different than everyone else is going to be really difficult at some times. His message is, I need you to understand and accept it so you don't try and quit all the time. See, when the world seems to be a place living for another reality, and they live for an opposite way and an opposite ethic and an opposite picture of redemption and an opposite picture of what the good life even means or even what truth means, this will be a weight that's hard at times to walk under. Biblical faith here is accepting that another kingdom is your home, and that's why this place feels so crazy to you sometimes, even if it's hard and difficult to do. Then the author talks about Sarah. Abraham and Sarah were made a promise that one day they'd have their own children, like as many as the stars in the sky and the sand in, in the beach, descendants that were, were greatly numerous. But, but Sarah, the text says, was past the age of having kids, which is the Bible's nicer way to say she is real, real, real old. And Abraham is as good as dead. Real, 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 real old. The point is there is no earthly way that God's promise should be able to happen for them. The, the, the deck looks stacked that God didn't tell the truth and he's not good. There's no way on earth that this should happen and yet Sarah had faith that God would accomplish what he promised. She had faith that even, um, even when she couldn't see how it was going to work, all she knew is that God wasn't a liar and that God was good. She couldn't see how it was possible, yet she still trusted him. And the text says it was her faith in God, her trust in his words and faithfulness that allowed her to conceive, which led the way to the descendants that God had promised. So while Abraham had faith in the promise of a new home, Sarah had faith in the promise of a new people. See how these go together? Ultimately, this is pointing to the, the line that, that, that Christ would come from, how he would create a new people, the, the bride of Christ. And, and this is what Hebrews has been kind of trying to teach us. Why does this place feel so weird? Because the law isn't written on the hearts of the people. Christ is going to come and create a new people who the laws of God are written on their hearts. They don't obey because they have to and they're terrified. They obey because they love and they trust him and they belong to him and he belongs to them. There's this new place from this new people and this is what God is going to do. One trusted for a new home, the other trusted for a new people. Those are intimately connected, but there's a little bit of angular difference in them. Let's do a little bit of work to try and get ready to land the plane. What have we seen so far? Biblical faith, trust, and the sacrifice of God. That is the work of Jesus. We trust in Christ alone we're saved. It is his sacrifice, nothing else, nothing that I do. Biblical faith, trust, and the sacrifice of God. Biblical faith walks with God in relationship. Biblical faith obeys God even when it doesn't make sense. Biblical faith realizes this isn't our home, begins to live for another. Biblical faith realizes that God is creating a distinct and different people that we're a part of, and that's why it feels so weird here. See, these are examples of faith that please God in heaven and help us as well. When our faith grows in ways that begin to embody the kind of same core tenets as these, it allows us to do what the author was trying to do the whole time, to live in a posture of hope, and that hope will create endurance. Endurance that we're going to need to walk through a chaotic world that God isn't done working in. That's the underlying good news, right? God is still doing work and still saving and reaching out and connecting and doing his work. You're going to need endurance, though. These... Examples of faith are not meant to be like a litmus test or a grading scale that hurts you. They're meant to be invitations from the Heavenly Father for you to walk in them. For you to find peace in the middle of a foreign land through this. See, these aren't types of faith that you need to like white knuckle or, or, or grab a hold of or, or wrangle on your own. The beauty is you, when you lean into the truth of God with the Holy Spirit, these things will grow. What, what's our play with some of this today? To ask the Holy Spirit to help you grow in these areas. Not to go, 
man, I didn't obey well and I'm terrible at that. Holy Spirit, you help me? You help me obey in times when it doesn't make sense? Like, I, I think you're beginning to uncover, like, I'm just like functionally just really embarrassed of you. You've asked just like little things. Ask someone for lunch and I just said no because I didn't want to. Like, help me to trust that you're good and obeying you is the best. See, this. These are invitations to ask the Holy Spirit to help you walk into these things, not things that you need to figure out by yourself. If you try and figure this out on your own away from God, it's gonna get worse, not better. Lean into the Lord and ask the Holy Spirit to help you. The text ends in maybe a surprising way. Because all these examples died. Not having received what they were promised. In view here are the examples of, uh, of Abraham and Sarah, the ones that were, were, were last or just mentioned. They lived acknowledging that they were strangers and exiles in the earth, making it clear that they were seeking a homeland. That's really important. They lived and acknowledged, I'm a stranger in exile. My clear understanding, I am seeking a homeland and the promise of God. I know who I am and I know where I'm going because of the promises of God. Why is the author saying this towards the end? I've tried to kind of point at it already. If they hadn't acknowledged the truth, if they hadn't acknowledged that this wasn't their home and that they were strangers, then they're constantly going to be tempted to turn around and look at the door and run the other way. To return to fitting in and and making this feel more like home in the here and the now instead of pointing at the promised land. So they knew this isn't my home. And I'm a foreigner here, but I'm going towards a better day, and this caused endurance to grow. Why? Because they had a hope that they transferred onto the promises of God later. I know clearly where I'm at. I know clearly why this feels the way that it does. But I'm headed that way, and God's got a good promise for me. So I'm, I'm, I'm going after it to this better country, this heavenly one, this one that God has, has redeemed. cool part it says because of their faith and the way it was walked out not only did they endure the text says God was not ashamed to be called their God it's one that we probably need to hear he's preparing a city for them a better home See, even when we suffer and face difficulty or tension in the world that we live in, our faith in God, the faith that causes us to hold fast in the chaos, through it, God is not ashamed. Do you hear the message here? We wrestle so heavily with shame. I'm not good enough, and I've messed this up, and I've destroyed all this, and I'm all of these weights. God will not be ashamed of the ones who are not ashamed of him, though. Outside of your track record of, of how much significant, amazing things that you've done in the world, his not ashamed of you has to do with your faith, not your accomplishment. Why? Because Christ came to accomplish what you needed anyway. He is not ashamed. He doesn't look at you in shame or frustration or I knew I shouldn't have done that and I, I should have got a better one. Like, he doesn't do any of that. And says, he says he's going to play, prepare a place, an eternity for them. I wish we had more time to dig into this because so often we kind of buy into this uh, uh, left behind mentality that God's going to like snatch us out and all this. But the, the Bible leads us to believe that he's actually going to redeem this and fix this. God is preparing and still working in his process of redemption where he fixes his good creation. And we live in the restored creation where our king is over and reigning in all things. The author is trying to make sure that we see the need like they did. To realize that our faith on this side of eternity before Christ returns is always going to carry with it a not yet seen element. We don't get everything that we want in the full scope of the promise here and now. The fullness of our promise gets experienced when Christ returns. So many people get frustrated and upset, whether you want to call it deconstruction or anything. They get so upset with Jesus because their heart desperately wants a home and all the promises now. And he goes, I've got it for you. It's just dig in and endure. You don't get the full scope of it all here. And I'll wipe away every tear that you endure trying to get there. Again, while it seems elementary in the faith, walking this out proves to be not easy. 
My hope is that this will stir in us, this type of faith, though. They'll begin to understand. Like that's, that's why things feel so strange right now. And that maybe even the examples of the ones who came before us, because there's, there's tenets as well where you go like, am I the only one who has this trouble? Am I the only one who feels crazy? Like, no, no, no. You got a, a generation of people in the faith before you who went through this as well. And they held on and the spirit was with them and you can too. Endure and, and dig in and understand the promise is beautiful even when it hurts here. I want to try and be careful not to try and invent more of an application than the author does. I was kind of sitting trying to figure out, okay, what do we do and how do we kind of land this thing? Instead of trying to go through like each tenet of faith and be like, you should think of this and this and this. I think maybe the wise play for us is to trust the Holy Spirit is better and smarter than you and I anyway. And say, hey, Holy Spirit, what would you want to speak into regarding my faith? Is there an element that you're calling me into? Is there an element that you're trying to grow and help me out with? Just, man, I got, I got time for you to speak today. Will you speak and I'll listen? About maybe some of the angles of this? calls to deeper faith. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking about your trust in Jesus and just slowly but surely your mouth has said you trust in Jesus, but your actions have said you trust in you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is just lovingly going, hey, come here, there's a beautiful sacrifice already given. I want to teach you to lean into that more. Maybe the relational aspect of your faith has just been kind of non-existent as of late. You've worked hard and done many things and maybe even like killing it in, in your perceived obedience and the Lord to go, I, that's great. Come walk with me though. Like come and experience the reconciliation of relationship that I sent Jesus for. And, and, and maybe that's the way that he's kind of pressing going, I, mean, I want some quiet time where I can speak. I want some time for you, you, you to sit with me and know that I'm good. Maybe he's asking you to trust him in things that just don't make sense. I wonder if there is one of you that you just kind of have these thoughts that sometimes it may be like something's asking you to do something. You're like, man, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know what that is. Maybe it's the spirit trying to speak to you, trying to grow your dependence and grow your obedience. And maybe he's trying for a while to go, I'm trying to speak, but you just kind of keep thinking it's something else. Maybe ask the Holy Spirit to line that out for you today. It'd be wise to say, Holy Spirit, give me ears to ear whatever you may be trying to say. I don't need to reinvent that for each and every one of us, but I have to believe as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us over and over and over. It says the, the, the throne room of God is available because of the work of Jesus. You can come and you can draw near and the spirit will be there. So we just go, hey, what would you want to say? I want to hear from you. More than I want to get to my next thing or do my, the, 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 the next event that I have today, what if we just asked? God, speak to me about my faith, about what you may want to do in it. Speak into my heart the reality that you're not ashamed because I, I kind of feel like you are. Maybe, maybe that's where he wants to do his work. But the beauty of this is our faith is meant to grow and our hope is meant to grow and our endurance in the middle of chaos is meant to grow. I hope that Hebrews does its work there for us and the spirit would speak. I always want to lay this rightly. None of this is possible without Christ. We're going to come to the table and, and, and take communion uh, today, but we understand that it is only because God has sent Jesus to be that sacrifice that we're able to do any of this. So we come to the table going, it is you and not me. Your body was broken and your blood was shed. It is the only way that I receive redemption it is all you. Help me grow in faith of that. An understanding of that to where that molds my life and changes my life and what that bought is what my life is pointing at. So as we close in worship and you come to the table, you're still remembering the centrality of the gospel. It is Christ and Christ alone that does all of this. Father, help me to live inside the reality of what Jesus has done more fully to where my faith grows and I hold fast. Man, you guys can come back up as... We take communion today, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 26. 
It says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we wind down and get ready to take and sing together. You don't have to be a member to, to come here and take. Here's kind of how we're going to line out some of the, the rest of the things that we're going to do. Uh, we're going to give a little bit of time, and the guys are just going to play behind uh, for, for a minute. In that prompt, that question that we have, I'm just going to give you some moments to sit with it. Right? The, the, the steady thing that we have said is we can, we can tell you you can pray, or we can just make really awkward time where you, where you get to pray. So, so what we'll do before we even play the next worship song is give you some time to wrestle with and ask the Spirit, hey, what would you want to say to my faith today? I want, I want to believe that Jesus was, was serious when he said that he would send a helper and a paraclete and that you would speak to me and grow my faith through it. So I'm going to sit here. Maybe that's my just first act of faith is I'm going to sit quietly and not think about dinner or lunch or if I called or texted mom or any of that other stuff. I'm just going to sit here and go, would you speak and what would you want to say? We'll start through that and then we'll come in. We've got three songs in communion, the table will be open. You don't have to be a member here to take, but we want to wrestle with the Lord in an appropriate way where we give him margin to speak to us through the Spirit. And then we sing confession words about what our faith is in through our song, and then we celebrate kind of the, the culmination of our faith at the table. Whether you have rocked it this week or done absolutely terrible, that there's a sacrifice for you that Jesus paid it all, that his body was broken and his blood was shed for you and, and, and that would literally feed your soul to send you out for the rest of the week to walk in faith and endurance. This is our hope, that our faith would grow. And friends, that we would learn to hear the Spirit speak to us. I wonder if you would be kind of even bold enough to start your prayer with, Father, would you give me ears to begin to hear from you? Because I just haven't for a while. So, so much so that... Maybe I started believing that you don't even want to talk to me anymore. Would you speak? And then give him margin to do so. I'll pray, and then we'll give some time for you to pray, and then we'll jump into some song at the table.